Although the characters we discuss are fictional, the challenges people face every day are not. The information we provide in this podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you are struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Jedi Council Podcast, where we explore mental health in your favorite fictional characters. Hey folks, welcome back to the next episode of the Jedi Council Podcast. This is Brandon Saxton and Katie Gordon. How are you doing today, Katie? I'm doing great today. Today is International Friendship Day, which I never know, you know, well, that's what Twitter told me. Who sets those? You know, I'm I'm not totally sure, but I like this one, so I didn't question it that much. And we had a lot of activity on Twitter of people tweeting their favorite fictional friendships, which was really, really fun. Of course, there's the the Buffy Scooby gang. And then we have the pals from Psych, of Love course, Chewie and Han Solo. Um, this one I like, Perry the Platypus and Dr. Heinz Doofenshmirtz, who are from um, that cartoon. I don't know that one. Oh, I'll think of it in a yeah. minute. Maybe that... our guest remembers it. <laughs> that, was, um, that is Phineas and Ferb. Yes, oh, thank okay. you, Phineas and Ferb. That's right. <laughs> And our friend Rob sent along the Freaks and Geeks gang, which was also oh, fun. Good. So you've already heard we do have a guest today, yeah. which I'm very excited about, <laughs> even more excited about than International Friendship Day. Um, Dr. Patrick O'Connor, we'll get to in just a moment. But how are you doing today, Dr. Oh. Patrick O'Connor? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm doing well. It's uh, yeah, it's got some great weather out here in the Chicago area, and so it's just really been, especially like last week and a half, and finally got a got a break and get to enjoy summer instead of being miserable in the heat. So, um, but as for favorite uh, favorite friendships, I'm thinking of Bart and Melhouse. Oh, nice. um, I think. Yeah, it's you know Bart's not the best friend to Miles, but, <laughs> but yeah, but I I still love that dynamic of of someone who who's who's generally kind of cool, and then one guy who's desperately trying to be cool, and just uh, but it works so well together. They're always getting in trouble. I love it. It it is relatable. Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. <laughs> as I can recall. It, <laughs> and you know, Brendan, I don't think I asked how you are or who your favorite fictional okay. friends are. You know what? I'm doing I'm doing much better now that I've been acknowledged. <laughs> and uh, in terms of favorite fictional friends, boy, I just I think that it's sort of reminds me a little bit in the vein of Bart and Milhouse, where it's a little bit one sided sometimes. But one relationship dynamic that I've always really loved is between Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Um, I've, I've reread those old Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes short stories and novels from the like late 1800s a number of times. And it's really a fun, uh, a fun read and a fun relationship. So. Oh, nice. Well, I'll yeah. put in a plug for Etta Candy and Wonder Woman. I love their friendship. And it's also... I think National or International Cheesecake Day, which reminds oh, wow. me of some other nice friends, the Golden Girls. Yeah, there we go. So, like <laughs> so I guess we should now get to the main point of our sure. episode, though I could talk about fictional friends all day. Um, today, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Patrick O'Connor as a special guest today. He's a former therapist who is one of the pioneers of connecting geek culture components like comic books and video games to mental health, which is, of course, what we're all about here on Jetty Council. He is a professor who teaches a variety of classes that incorporate subjects related to geek culture, and he's published and presented on the use of superheroes in therapy. We're really excited to learn more about his work, and as we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, when Brandon was in my class Mm -hmm. four or five years ago... I would have been... uh, This will be my sixth year, so I guess it would have been just starting it five years ago, yeah. That was when I saw Brandon first introduce some of Patrick's work, so I'm excited to learn some more about how that came about today. Absolutely, so... Yeah. we, I guess we already asked Patrick how he's doing. Yes. Should we dive right in? So maybe to, to start off, could you tell us just a little bit about how did you get into clinical psychology and, and how did you start connecting it with some of those geeky interests? So like folks know, we're on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network, uh, a whole thing founded and run by Josue Cardona. And we're, we're also really interested in hearing about how you met Josue and some of those projects that you maybe have worked on together. Sure. Yeah. So with regard to the uh, original questions around how I got into clinical psych, um, I, I went to University of Illinois at Urbana 
of Champagne for my undergrad, and um, I was in a, a program called the Counseling Center Paraprofessional Program, and essentially you're kind of shadowing the uh, uh, counselors at the Counseling Center at, at, uh, at the school and doing outreach programs and, do, and putting on workshops and, and practicing interviewing skills. It's a three-semester-long program, and it, so it gave undergrad students kind of a taste of what it's like at the graduate level for work, but also for, for actually, you know, to do, um, not quite therapy, but to kind of get involved in, in counseling psych just in general. And it, it, I really connected well with it. So having that little bit of a taste then I, I knew I wanted to do that, um, make that part of uh, a focus of my career going to grad school. Um, so then I went to Chicago school and, and while I was there, I was trying to decide on a dissertation topic and I was running it by my, you know, different faculty members. Um, and the, feedback I was getting was uh, like that there are two choices. One, um, you're going to work so much on this project that it's really just a rite of passage. You just just pick a topic, just just barrel your way through it, and you're going to be miserable by the end of it. So just get it done. And then you can look, you know, just leave it behind you and forget it ever existed. Or option B, pick something you love, and then that is going to be something that you're you're going to work yourself to death over, and you may grow to hate the thing you love, but at least it'll be motivating along the way uh, because you'll have that kind of emotional connection. So I picked the latter. Um, I didn't want to dedicate two plus years just to something making me miserable that I didn't care about. Um, so I chose video games, and uh, I've played video games since I couldn't remember, you know, since I was probably three years old, and um, they've always been my primary form of recreation so uh, I did some work on I basically did an extensive lit review that was um, what does the research say about video games uh, relevant to violence or addiction um, as well as uh, positive qualities how does it relate to play therapy uh, which has much more research in terms of uh, its efficacy um, a little bit of the history of video games just this kind of like a broad but also kind of comprehensive look at, at like where are we today in the state of, of video game research and psychology and um, and one little stat that I always think is, is really interesting is that I published that in 2011 and there have been more studies in video games and psychology since 2011 than before 2011. Oh my wow. gosh. <laughs> in the last seven years, more research in that field than there has in the previous 40. So um, when I published it, it was out of date immediately, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, but uh, yeah, so I, I loved that. And, and I realized that there was this really interesting intersection between doing something you love personally uh, compared to doing something you love professionally. And I wanted to know, is there something I could kind of bring together with that? And I felt like I did that a bit with trying to bring games as a concept into therapy and then um fast forward i was working with kids in foster care and uh i was thinking about their relationship with their uh, foster parents and how they're essentially living in somebody else's home eating somebody else's food sleeping in somebody else's bed and at the time i think uh the um second dark knight movie came out dark, uh, um with uh, with heath ledger and and even though Robin isn't in it, I was thinking about the relationship between Batman and Robin and how Dick Grayson and every other Robin really has this sort of foster father, foster son or you know, foster child um, relationship. So I wanted to know, like, are there comic books that touch on that relationship of your, you know, uh, a parent like figure, but you're you're not my real dad that, you know, that kind of thing of like, I want to listen to you and I should respect you. But there's just, you know, at the same same time i know that my my real parents are out there or they or they pass and they're gone now and i don't need you or you know any of that conflict and i walked into my nearest comic book store and and asked a very looking back uh i think a dumb question which is why they laughed at me i think as i said uh are there any batman and robin comic books that really address the kind of father-son dynamic between the two characters and they were like good luck have, have at it you know and just 75 years of published history at the time, you know, you can kind of look at, or 70, I think. So, um, yeah, of course, it's like all over the place. Um, so I just started reading comics and started kind of summarizing them. And uh, uh, and I don't want to get like too far in, into rambling because um, – or make sure we get – you know, stay kind of focused to some of the questions you asked. But I think, um, yeah, I just kind of got into to reading the comics and, and tracking what the stories were, finding ways that they're relevant to my clients, reading them with my clients, seeing how they responded and kind of taking my own personal notes on that and then adjusting along the way to see how uh, – you know, what, what did they – 
really respond well to. And mm-hmm. as it came down to, it was mostly the characters, the stories, and the um, the kind of broad themes. It was the themes that really kind of brought the the clients back to wanting to to read more and talk more about it. And I I think that's really interesting. I when I was in graduate school, worked with at a juvenile correctional facility, and there were some adolescents there who had been in and out of foster care, and of course they weren't staying in a place that. They were, you know, they weren't staying at home when I was seeing them because they were in a correctional facility. And I similarly found that talking either through books or movies or other types of things, it seems like it helped. And I don't know if this was your experience, kind of bring their guard down a little bit because you could kind of start talking about the characters instead of diving right into what they were experiencing. Yeah, for sure. That was um, that was something that I, that I learned early on and I think became really apparent when I worked at a residential treatment facility with teenagers um, kind of similarly where um, uh, especially with the work with villains when I would bring a, a villainous type type comic into therapy where those kids tended to identify more um, not so much with the villain acting villainous but with a villain's like mindset you know who who might be the identified villain I should say right is um, this where where there's this recurring theme of um, I don't like the way society has treated me or I don't like the way society treats these people or I don't like the way society um, values or devalues me. And the kids I worked with had a lot of those same kinds of stories. And I would often say um, when talking to parents or other therapists or teachers about this is, um, you know, no five-year-old says, I want to grow up and I want to be mean. I want to be the bad guy that everybody hates. I want to be the person who's in jail. I want to be the person who people ignore. I want to be I want to cause pain for for much of my life, right? I, you know, little kids don't don't dream of that. But society can raise a child to become that um through a lot of different ways, big and small ways all along the way. And that this is kind of an uh Ericksonian idea, but um this concept that that um rebellious teenagers rebel against society because they have this kind of inherent understanding that it was society that created the rebellion within mm-hmm. um, by kind of saying we we don't like you and we don't want you the way you are so we're going to try to make you something you're not and that that kind of breeds this this um, resentment towards society and so now it becomes this kind of you know um, big middle finger to uh, to society anything you can do to kind of go against expectations go against authority um, is a way to say I I, I'm tired of being what you want me to be. Um, so, yeah, so a lot of those villains will have those kinds of stories behind them. And uh, and so the kids would, the teenagers would, would really um, respond well to that. And like you said, it's, it's the, a lot of these characters have been around these kids' whole lives. Whereas I walk in and day one, you don't know who I am. You know, like you, mm-hmm. even after a couple of weeks, we can get kind of close. But, um, but still, it, you know Batman, you know Wolverine, or you know Power Girl or Wonder Woman, or mm-hmm. you know all these different characters that have been around much longer than me. So yeah, we, we can find that kind of that bridge. We can kind of uh, uh, cross that bridge together and, and you know find each other in the middle. Wow, that's that's very interesting. And how did how did you and Josue meet up? And because I, I think you all did presented on some of these ideas uh, years back, even right. Yeah, yeah. So I was working at a, a, a group private practice called Southeast Psych in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the time, and uh, completing my postdoctoral training. And um, I like Josue's description of it. He said it, it's like a, a geek Disneyland mm-hmm. um, because you walk into this place, and it is it does feel very different from most psych practices, um, where there's a web studio where they record you know videos for YouTube, and they have um, with like you know green screens and professional cameras and, and all that stuff and like full time people just to edit videos. They have a bookstore oh, wow. and a coffee yeah, bookstore and coffee shop inside. They have mannequins dressed in um uh superhero costumes they call a life size action figures. <laughs> um comic book art all over the walls, um, you know, really fun rooms, uh with, with you know video game art everywhere and stuff. It's so it's a really and it's not a kid practice. It's not just for kids, um, but it's it's just celebrates geek culture. And, um, and so I was living and working there and Josue, um, and his, uh, um, I think, you know, him and his partner got, got, uh, located, relocated to Charlotte, um, 
and uh, and so then he he came across my work somehow was, and said he wanted to meet me, and I gave him a tour of Southeast Psych. We talked about it a little bit and stuff, and you know found out we had a lot in common. So we just kind of kept in touch, and and um, I think I was is one of his first guests on uh, the Geek Therapy podcast, oh. and um, yeah, we just kind of just kind of collaborated and talked all along the way, and then we presented at San Diego Comic Con in. 2013 summer of 2013 that was the first time we presented together and it happened to be at san diego comic-con wow that must have been amazing it was it was extremely intimidating but also just a ton of fun and and was yeah was fantastic so i'm guessing that Jose found out about you through was it through your did you have your comicspedia website up at that point yeah yeah because um with comicspedia that was uh um uh, it was something that I, you know, it's online now and I've, I've had online for a while, but I, at the time was, I, I should say before Charlotte, it was mostly just for me. And so it was something I kept offline, but then at some point in 2011, I want to say early 2011, um, I saw it was like $10 a month to have a website and it's not like there are images or anything that takes up a lot of uh, bandwidth. So it's just all text. It's like, sure, I'll upload this thing and just kind of keep it up there and, and I, I can access it just the same as on my computer. But now maybe someone else will find it. And I honestly don't know how anyone found it because <laughs> it's like, uh, you Google these things? I don't know. Um, yeah, so he happened across it and somehow you know found out about what I did. And yeah, I, I don't know. That's how I understand it, at least. He might have a, a better story than, than that. I think it was just kind of by accident. Well, how did you find it, Brandon? Do you remember? It was a while back, but I'm I'm sure it was just through Googling certain things. Looking yeah, up like yeah. Batman and therapy. I and assume it was something like that. Yeah, because I you know I was also interested in in how can we use fictional characters to kind of talk about mental health and and if you're in if you're googling anything like that, Comicspedia is going to come up at yeah. some point. So yeah, and just for our listeners who aren't familiar, Comicspedia, which we'll link to in our show notes, is a database containing summaries of over 200 individual issues of comic books, and each issue has been carefully read and summarized by and categorized by Patrick. It has categories that are relevant to therapy and mental health, like deception, facing fears, and roles. And so it's a great resource for things that Patrick was talking about using it before, and you don't have to start from scratch because he's mm-hmm. already organized it for you. <laughs> yeah, essentially the idea is uh, like the, the the sort of question that formed the, the, the product, uh, product, the thing, is um, uh, if I wanted to bring a comic book into therapy for my client, how would I know which one to pick? And uh, with Comicspedia, uh, if you have an idea of what superheroes they like, because it is superhero-focused, um, even though comic books cover for like every subject there is, it's uh, the Comicspedia itself is superhero focused. Um, so if you know what superhero your client likes and you know a broad theme that they're struggling with, like you said, like facing fears, difficult decisions, roles, um, losing powers, losing a loved one, um, anything like that, then you simply combine the two. You say, I'm going to look up losing powers, and now you've got a list of dozens or even over 100 um, comic books maybe tagged with that theme alone that has those summaries then. So you can say, oh, well, there's Batman, and it's losing power. And so it's like, you know, he um, gets, even though he doesn't have superpowers, maybe he loses all of his gadgets, or he is held captive, or something. And now there's a book. It has the date, the publication year, you know, you know exactly where to go and how to get it. Um, Because the question that I asked um, was, I went to uh, one of my mentors at the Chicago School and asked him, um, you know, do you know of any databases out there that have like a way to sort comic books so you know kind of what, what their like the psychological themes would be and that sounds really specific but i thought maybe someone had already done that so yeah, so he looked at me like no i don't know anything about that um and he suggested like why don't you make it like okay so i just started doing that you know it was just, and that's uh one bit of advice to try to pass on to grad students who are trying to figure out what to do or what um you know what to focus their dissertation on or, or anything even down the road um you know you never stop being a student you never stop being uh, uh you know being creative so if there's something that you want to exist but it doesn't do it do it yourself you know and do it for your do it for yourself and uh, and who knows? There might be other people who who like it too, and have been waiting for that or looking for that. Yeah, I think that's really mm-hmm. really good advice. I completely agree with that. I think that um, and Jedi Council started a little bit like that. I had an assignment in my class that was looking at 
evaluating fiction for mental health type of stuff and thought it would be fun and I'd look and see look for samples and didn't see a lot of them so I definitely recommend it because it ends up being fun and like Patrick said other people can find it too and it can be really useful and also just connect you with other people with similar interests I think that Jose, I think, found us too, right like when right we started. Away. He's just yeah. got a good way He's of scanning <laughs> the yeah. internet for this stuff. And so, and now look at this huge like podcast network all around geek therapy that he's built since then. So it's, it's, I, I think that's fantastic advice. Is there a particular comic book that you've remember using that seemed to really help facilitate communication and connection or a particular character that was recurring you mentioned batman already is there any others like that yeah um yeah batman is uh had been one of the biggest i would say the top three characters that i would use uh would be batman um x-men and then the plutonian from the comic book irredeemable and um uh i would say i used I probably use Batman the most as a particular story. Um, I, I think uh, was it uh, Court of Owls when um, Scott Snyder uh, first got the Batman series at, during New Fifty Two. That was um, that was a really cool storyline where um, uh, because it was fresh and they were kind of relaunching it. Um, anytime there's kind of a number one, as often as it happens in, in you know the comic book industry, it's great. It really is great for helping new people get on board. So here was like a new, you know, the only the second time ever a Batman number one issue one coming out, and uh, so I picked it up as and everyone thereafter. And when I would bring it in with my my kids to read, like they loved it. Um, before then, uh, Irredeemable though was uh, I think was the kind of the most giving series where. I mentioned working with uh, the kind of tougher teens at the residential treatment facility. Um, I brought in this book, Irredeemables, published by Doom student, written by Mark Wade, and uh, artist was Peter Krause. He, uh, uh, I brought this in, and the kids just loved it. Um, the book is about uh, asking a kind of simple question, what if the world's greatest superhero becomes the world's worst supervillain? And this Superman-like character... Um, turns and he just starts killing people in in huge waves and he, his basically super friends his justice league like group um is trying to figure out like what happened what about his what can we learn about his past what can we learn about him uh people he knows like how can we kind of figure out like what what did this and how can we stop him or change him back or you know and um uh what it touches on is a lot of like emotional resilience that that can come from a life of trauma, a life with trauma, but uh, but doesn't always come with that. Um, as as Mark Wade has said in, a, in an interview, he said that when we write superheroes, we give them all these superpowers, but really the biggest superpower that every hero gets that, that you don't see is the emotional strength to cope with being super. And so what we see in Irredeemable is a Superman-like guy who's saving the day, but as he's standing there kind of relishing in the fact that he just saved, you know, the stadium that from this big robot that came down and was going to destroy everybody. It's this, you know, purposely kind of shallow scene, but the, it kind of zooms in gradually, and you see him with his super hearing. He's hearing all these people who are cheering him, but then start insulting him, being like, man, what a show-off. Look at this guy. Like, do we always need him? I bet he brings all this problem upon us. If he wasn't here, I bet life would be so much easier. And he just keeps hearing that, right? And it's little by little, all these little things, and that he and, – and as he's saving the day in one part of the planet, his super hearing picks up people he has to ch- – choose to leave behind on other parts of the city or the planet and he sort of teaches that to his uh super group friends um in one part where he um throws these uh these like meteors down into singapore and forms this like diamond crust that he uses to like completely push the country underwater and as he's about to do this um he tells his friends you can pick 10 people pick 10 people to save and then I'm going to kill everybody else. And that's what this is like. This is what it's like to be me. And so they're desperately like, I guess you and you and you and you. And they grab them. They kind of teleport out. And he puts Singapore completely in the ocean. Um, and 
so there's this this horrible guy but what ha- what what it really comes down to is that as they examine his youth he's had all these horrible experiences these terrible things happen to him during his upbringing that he that no child should ever be expected to cope with and and again the, the these kids that that go through such a, a rough time in their childhood kind of come out sometimes again not all the time but can come out with that as an outcome of struggling with alcohol or drug abuse in the family or crime in the family or um, being neglected, um, ignored, uh, right? Just kind of being in really bad environments or being devalued and put down or hurt. Um, you know, not, not, you know, it's a lot to put on a kid to expect them to grow up and, and to be resilient through that. That's an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. I definitely will have to read that. That yeah. sounds incredible. Yeah. That's a really, really great story. And it's, uh, it's finished too. It's 37 issues. Um, yeah. And it ends wonderfully too. No, that sounds great. It's definitely on my uh, on my list of things to check out. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to shift gears just a little bit and sure. ask you about, so as a professor, you created a course called Geek Culture and Therapy. And I remember reading about this course while I was having my own courses in graduate school and wishing, <laughs> yes, thinking very enviously about, uh, about your students. Uh, um, but I'd love to hear more about the goals of the course, uh, what type of content you were covering. Uh, what kind of assignments were you having students do? I, I would just love to hear more about it as I imagine that I, I had the fortune to take it. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, the, it's funny, the, the assignments are one of my one of the things I'm most proud about because um, I try to make them applicable but also fun. And I, and I think it's the only class I've taught so far where I actually see students getting excited at, at the assignments. Sure. Uh, they're like, yes! Um, <laughs> so the, uh, the course... Um, yeah, so as for what it covers, I have it broken up into these clusters. And so we have a comic book cluster, a gaming cluster. Um, then we have uh, like diversity and current trends. Um, then we have a sci-fi cluster and a fantasy cluster. Um, comic books, we look at um, superheroes and non-superhero comic books. For gaming, we look at um, uh, tabletop gaming, video gaming, online gaming. And uh, the most recent iteration of the course, I ran with virtual reality um, as one section as well. I can talk about that in a little while. Um, sci-fi, we look at like classic sci-fi and, uh, kind of maybe more recent developments, um, fantasy, uh, unfortunately, cause the course can only be so long. That one gets the short end of the stick. Um, we just very briefly cover Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. That's all. Um, just in, in one, two hour class. Just those two tiny stories. Yeah, those two, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, as for like readings, they, uh, they have a few assigned to textbooks, um, Larry Rubin's uh, 2006 uh, um, publication of Using Superheroes in Counseling and Play Therapy. Uh, it was a great text. Um, a really useful table in the back of the book that lists out characters, heroes and villains across geek culture. Like it's got Star Wars characters, superheroes, and and um, and various characters that have like their strengths, their weaknesses, and, and like key facts about them. It's a really cool like little uh, resource. And they have to read Bruno Bettelheim's book from 1975, The Uses of Enchantment, The Meaning and Importance of Fairy Tales. This child psychologist basically pushed for, advocated for fairy tales and fantasy to be involved in a child's life. That uh, back in the mid-70s, even that uh, as much as there was this, there could be this push of trying to make children like miniature adults and, and to make them work earlier and earlier in life and work harder and harder, something that unfortunately kind of continues through today. He was pushing for this idea of fantasy. They need, we need to tell our kids stories with, uh, fantasy stories with morals, uh, because, uh, I love the way he puts this. I, I don't have the quote handy, but he essentially says that fantasy is used to fill, um, the gaps in a child's mind that, that, because of a lack of experience in the world, when a child faces a new situation, they have nothing but fantasy to rely on to inform them of what to do in that situation. And so if they can, fa- if they can imagine a favorable outcome, then their emotional tantrums disappear. And it's with stories like The Three Little Pigs or um, Little Red Riding Hood um, and those kinds of fairy tales that – tell you a story that has some sort of clear message throughout or kind of this is what you do in this situation and this is how to treat people and and what happens when you treat people this way. 
and that he argued kids need that because they need that to aid in their upbringing. Um, so I want my students to read that too, to expose themselves to, to that idea and to make the connection, not just fairy tales, but also to go into any fictional reading, anything that has a moral um, you know, story that at least can be a positive moral outcome um, to some degree. And at least to get, you know, get in this understanding that, you know, kids bring in information from all sources and they use all of that to the best of their ability to make their decisions every single day. Um, and then we read Joseph Campbell's uh, The Hero, of the, or Hero with a Thousand Faces and uh, we look at his hero's journey and compare that to Lord of the Rings mostly and talk about how that's also been shown across a lot of different kind of major book and movie franchises in, re- in recent decades. Um, yeah, so that's kind of some of the content. Um, and I would recommend to your listeners, if you're unfamiliar with Joseph Campbell, definitely check it out. Like on a, a YouTube search of Joseph Campbell, monomyth will pull up uh, usually pretty awesome videos where people explain it and show examples because it's essentially this one story we've told ourselves for thousands of years that is just changes locations and characters. But like The Hunger Games and Matrix and Star Wars and Harry Potter, um, Lord of the Rings – all are basically the same story. They all follow the monomyth. They all have the same kind of formula of a story, and those are the ones that resonate with us the most. Um, so we look at that. We kind of pick apart that structure, and uh, and why is it that, that people connect with that story structure? Um, as for some of the requirements, like the the, um, the work that the students have to do, there's uh, uh, a character analysis paper. They have to pick a fictional character. And uh, I give them a concrete list just so that it's they don't pick characters I'm unfamiliar with, at least for that assignment. Um, but I give them like 30 or so characters to choose from. And they have to uh, uh, use what their intervention on that character um, to kind of imagine there being a problem. And then uh, how would they use that um, uh, their chosen intervention on that character, um, knowing their background and, and all of that. Um, not to over-pathologize somebody, but just to kind of get into that. Because sometimes people like that and have fun with that. Like, what if Batman was my client? What, you know, what would I do with him? Um, how would that, what would that look like? So I give students a chance to write that paper. Um, they have a presentation. Oh, this is, this is great. Uh, the geek out presentation. It's great because the, the it's it, students have gone way above and beyond anything I could have imagined. Um, so there's this presentation you, you mentioned, uh, Brandon about like, you know, how you wish you could take this course in putting this together. I actually worked with Josue a lot on it. Um, essentially, like uh, like I say, about fifty fifty uh, was like his input and, and my input in putting this whole course together. And so we were talking about what what are some things that we wish we could do if we were in a course like this. And sure. at, the, at the time, I was reading Irredeemable, and I said, "Man, I wish I could just tell everybody about this book." So out of that, then came this idea of the geek out presentation. So students have twenty to thirty minutes to pick a like um, a franchise or a character or a video game. A a thing at all that you geek out about and tell us about it and tell us why it's important to know this and what we should know about it if we ever come across a client who likes that same thing too. And I had my second course, I want to say, I ever taught. Yeah, I had uh, a student who chose Pokemon because she's never played and never been into it, but she had like young family members and she was starting to get her first clients who are all into it. And so she took it as a self-challenge of like, I need to know about this to tell other people for a half hour about it so I can be a better therapist. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> melting my heart. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. like the dream of any professor. <laughs> right, right, right. And, uh, and she crushed it. And, and I learned so much about Pokemon that day. And because uh, <laughs> uh, I wasn't that, that big into it myself when I was a kid. I was like, this is fantastic. This is so cool. Um, yeah, so students get to come in and say, let me tell you all about this character from the X-Men. Let me tell you all about this book. Let me tell you about this one character from some series that I've never heard of. Let me tell you all about this whole, you know, TV show and and whatever it is. And they get to geek out for a half hour and just tell us all about it. But again, it has to they have to anchor it back to why is it relevant for therapy or how can people connect with it? Any cultural relevance and stuff. Um, it's not just gushing. And uh, and yeah, it's really been been really cool. Um, that's always a lot of fun because I never know what's what's going to happen in those thirty minutes, and students just continue to to press and surprise me um uh, two more sorry go ahead oh no i was just gonna say that's it seems like one of the really cool themes is that it's 
it is a lot of fun, but it's also anchored very much in learning a lot about therapy and the role of stories and narratives. And so it's really cool to hear about that. I just wanted to quickly say that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the next two kind of um, lean a little harder on that, too. Um, the next one is a, a colloquium, but I, it's really kind of the, the panel activity. After having spoken on, on uh, quite a few panels at different conventions, I thought, well, wouldn't it be great if our students could do that, too? So they have to assemble small groups of about three to five students and develop a 50-minute panel on a topic within key culture that's just an umbrella topic. And then each one of them gets to pick a subtopic that they talk, you know, that they relate to it. And then they have to answer Q&A from us. And I would, uh, I always do my best to try to invite other faculty, whether uh, part-time or full-time, to sit in and, and kind of watch it or other students so we can like, you know, it's, it never got a big crowd, but because uh, I usually taught this at night. Um, but still, we get who we could to kind of sit in on it and, and to join in the panel experience and to be able to ask, you know, random questions. Because anyone who's uh, spoken on a panel would know that the Q&A is the hardest part because you're like, you don't know what someone's going to ask mm-hmm. and, and kind of challenge you, you know. Um, and so – but that's also a really exciting time because it's – it's uh, yeah, it's just – it's going to pull something you, you didn't expect to prepare for. Um, so, yeah, the students talk for an hour, uh, roughly – I should say 40 minutes. Then they do 10 minutes Q&A. And we've had panels on um, Disney princesses. Uh, we've had panels on science fiction. I think we had a panel on Doctor Who. We had a panel on, um, oh, I'm, I'm sure we've had a superhero, a uh, couple of them. Um, yeah, so like another kind of broad range of topics with that. And when they're done, because this is another big thing I want from the class, is I want the students to feel like that they're leaving the class with with something and that they have a thing like tangible in front of them that they can do it with. Um, so I, I tell them, you know, you have this panel now with these people. And if you have a few years left, cause this is in Chicago, there's big conventions in Chicago every year. You now have everything you need to do it. Apply, you know, like propose your panel to C2E2, to the Chicago comic con, to animate the um, Midwest or, you know, anything else that's going on that's relevant in Chicago or in the area or Milwaukee is close by and, and go with your fellow students and stuff and present there. Um, I haven't had that happen as far as I know yet, but quite a few of those students have joined me on panels or joined Josue on panels and talked about the things that they've talked about in my course. So uh, so that's been really cool to see them kind of like, you know, they get their familiarity with it and then they can kind of continue and run with it. Um, and then the last thing that they do, the uh, last activity that's, that's very much a tangible take-with-you thing is the geek therapy activity, uh, which I, has recently hit a big speed bump, um, but I'll get to that in a little bit. Um, so the geek therapy activity I got as an idea from, uh, Randy Pausch's last lecture, which is an incredible video, um, on YouTube. And, uh, he talks about designing these projects for students where every two weeks they have to turn in something and then they rotate partners, um, so that they always work with other, with different people and get diverse, uh, experiences of working with others. And so I kind of borrowed that with this, where I told students that, um, you're going to be working in pairs and your paired partner works, will change, you know, every time, but you have two weeks to go uh, with your partner to come with an activity of something to bring geek culture into therapy. You have to create a one-page, um, just one-sided uh, sheet of paper that uh, contains a list of all materials needed, detailed instructions on how to perform the activity, description of the po- uh, client population, um, explain what results are expected, and any troubleshooting tips. So like here might, you know, this could be a thing that goes wrong. What if a kid sits out at this part? What if a kid doesn't get it? What if a kid doesn't like the candy, you know, uh, reward, whatever it is? Um, give us a couple ideas of what to do if things go wrong. And then, um, and then research or theory-based rationale to support. Basically, put two sources at the bottom that back up. This is what helped inform this activity, and all of that goes into the Geek Therapy database that I uh, kept on the Comicspedia website. And then I would print them all out and give them as like a as like stapled copies to the students, or they'd email them to each other um, at the end of the semester, so they all had all the all the copies. Um, if you have eight students then that's four activities coming up every two weeks. And so now the Geek Therapy database, after running that for two or three semesters, has about 70, I want to say, maybe even more, Geek Therapy activities, things you can do to bring geek culture into therapy with superheroes or, or any other you know, video games, Dungeons & Dragons, Harry Potter, just off the top of my head, it was all stuff in there. 
Oh, that's that's really cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That, that's that awesome. sounds really fun. I want to take this class too. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this sounds great. Um, you know, you mentioned panels in there, and I I think teaching students to think on their feet like that during Q and A that's so important. I mean, it's really important that we're able to share our information with the public and kind of get over some of the anxiety that comes with, like you said, not knowing what people are going to ask. We've certainly had that experience before. Could you tell us and our listeners about any favorite panels or presentations that you've had at the past uh, presenting at Comic-Cons? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, man. I think, uh, honestly, I think some of the, the, one of the most fun panels I had on the fun end of things was at, at um, PAX East last year. And uh, in Boston, it's a, a video game and tabletop gaming convention. And um, our friend Kelly Dunlap presents there, I think, every year, just about every year. And she she got us in, uh, me and Josue and uh, uh, my friend and colleague, Sean Knuth. Um, Josue did make it last year. Yeah, because he didn't make it the one before. Um, yeah, so it was the four of us uh, up there. And she did cards against psychology and it was a riff on cards against humanity where she had um i forget which was which but you know black cards were psych terms and white cards were um gaming related terms and i (laughs) and she randomized them and there were some funny ones in there too of course and and we wouldn't know what they were until she pulled them up and so we have like 300 people in front of us, <laughs> all these psychologists sitting up there and therapists. And, um, and so she would pull up these random pairs and then we would have to riff off of them of like, how do you explain this? And I think my favorite pairing uh, was that I had to do was I had to explain how um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is represented in teabagging. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in in, uh, in online games. Um, <laughs> if you don't know what that is, you can look up an Urban Dictionary. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, so all of a sudden now I'm explaining to 300 people how teabagging is this expression of your self-actualization because you're able to reach the peak of your ultimate, you know, gaming ability and you've practiced your whole life and you've been able, you know, you don't have any shortcomings. Along- yeah, right. So... <laughs> Uh, there was that. There was stuff on like on. There was like cheating and uh, Mario Kart and like you know random like terms stuff here and there. And then like Freud stages of development or um, uh, Carl Rogers and just all these just random pairings. And that was a lot of fun because <laughs> you just didn't know. And when that came up. I was like, I got this, guys. <laughs> Is this game then, commercially uh, available? Because it sounds kind of fun. <laughs> I know, I know, I wish. I'm, she probably still has the card saved somewhere. I'd love to see that list again. Um, as for uh, uh, as for other other panels that were more kind of personally slash professionally rewarding, uh, Josue and I were joined by Mark Wade in uh, at Comic San Diego Comic Con in 2015, and we basically it was basically just focused on irredeemable and what were the the psychological themes in irredeemable. Well, how did I use them in therapy? Um, there's a, a sort of um, sibling book to it called Incorruptible, and that's the reverse where, like, the world's worst villain sees what the Plutonian is doing, and he's like, oh, crap, now I have to be the superhero. And so now he turns to be good, but he's trying to wrestle with his evil past, and uh, Josue likes that book better than Irredeemable. Um, and so we both got to talk about this this universe that Mark created and how people really connect with it. And Mark shared some really personal stories about um, how he connects with the characters and how uh, how it really came from a, a very um, very deep place for him to to write those stories. It was that was just amazing to be up there with. Um, like I used to read his his flash books when I was a kid, and I got out of comics in my teen years and early twenties. And when I reconnected them through Comicspedia. Uh, I came across the Redeemable, like, this is a great book. Who's this guy? Mark Wade. I looked up, like, wait, I used to read his books. And I loved The Flash. That was amazing. I met him at C2E2 and eventually got, got his contact info and, and uh, joined me at this convention. He's, you know, said, absolutely. So the three of us got to just kind of gush about this world he created and how awesome it was. Um, that was really, really cool. And uh, yeah, That sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Um 
yeah. Uh, I mean, there's I could just talk about panels all day, but there's been it's been. Sure. <laughs> I love the variety of them and how uh, you know whether we're you know, whether it's fun like the Cards Against Psychology thing or more serious like talking about how you know it's help uh, comics have helped people in therapy. Um, panels are just I think just a ton of fun to to get out there. Plus, uh, one last little thing about it is that afterwards when people come up to talk to the panelists and, and just kind of you know share their personal connection like you know just say thanks a lot of times they'll say me too where i'm a therapist and i didn't know anybody else was doing this too or me too i was reading this story and i didn't know anyone else connected with it like i did or you know there are all these people coming up saying like i've i've had this same experience and i thought i was the only one and you know that is such a huge thing in mental health where people have struggles and think no one else is going through this but me and so to kind of bring this on a on a on an, uh, I don't want to say it's not a grander scale, but in like a, in a room full of people with you know dozens or hundreds of people who are all kind of nodding along, like I get this is is really amazing because it's it really helps to kind of bring home how wide reaching geek culture can be and how how deeply affecting it can be on so many people. You just got to see that room full of passionate people saying this is this is it. This is getting me right. This book gets me. Um, it's really really cool to see that. Yeah, that sounds really powerful. Absolutely. It just sounds amazing. So shifting gears a little bit again, I'm, I'm curious, with your background and your experiences, what are some suggestions that you might have for professors or mental health practitioners um, in terms of incorporating ge- their own geeky interests into their own teaching or practice? Yeah, uh, I do think that part of it does come back to my uh, my advice earlier where if uh, – if if you don't know if somebody else doing it, do it yourself and try it, and just yeah. you know, take notes, uh, take personal notes on stuff, and and be, um, you know, be fair to yourself. In in uh, you know, I would try to make sure that I would recognize when things went well, but also recognize when things needed help, and not not shoehorn it as I'm going to make this work. Because if it doesn't, it doesn't, you know. And yeah. and when I worked with uh, with kids in therapy with comic books, because the question comes up sometimes is like, what if a kid doesn't like it? Well, we wouldn't do that. Like, you know, I, I never tried more than twice. Um, if by the somewhere in the middle of the second session of trying to bring a comic book in, um, it's not like I did with all my clients. It was just with the clients that kind of felt like, OK, I think they're really they, they like superheroes a lot or it seems like I know the perfect book for this situation. Or, you know, if if we're in the middle of the second session of them trying to read a comic and talk to me about it and it's not working, we're totally shifting gears. We're dropping it. I'm probably not going to revisit it ever again. And we're, it's yeah. you know, it's done. Um, so being able to recognize those limits and when things aren't going well. Uh, as you're kind of doing your own work, um, but I do think that it requires a little bit of bravery to, to kind of um, to, to try a little bit, um, uh, you know, in in a small kind of safe capacity to understand that uh, at least for practitioners, some good advice I got early on too is that um, because by the time I started using Comicspedia, I was worrying like, what if I'm not good at this? And my uh, one of my mentors said, at that point where I was in grad school, I'd already had practicum experience for two or three years. I'd already had all my intervention courses. And he pointed out, you know, you already have the basics of how to do humanistic existential therapy. So if it's not working, you just do that, right? You just do the thing you're good at. So, or what you're trained in, or you're right, where you have the most experience in. So all you're doing is kind of dipping your toe in the water here. I'm not saying you have to, to dive in, but you try and just kind of see what it's like and, and kind of assess it and see, you know, if it if it doesn't feel right, you go back to what, what is natural for you. If it feels like it's going okay, then, you know, take notes on it and proceed. Um, that's that's how a lot of the stuff I've, I've done kind of came about. I um, I gamify my general psych courses, for example, when I teach undergrad, where they're on an XP system, they level up, they get rewards, they choose their assignments along the way, and they, they have too much work to do, um, so that's why they pick the work that they do along the way. Just like in any like role-playing game, you can just kill pigs all day long in this field if you want, and you'll gradually grind out all the XP you want, but that's boring, so you can go out and do other things, but that, that those pigs are still going to be there. That's basically what I do in my intro to psych classes, is I give them a ton of work that's all available all the time, and they just pick the work they want to do to get the XP, level up, and get the grade they want. And that also began as just a way of, of you know, I heard this gamification thing is fun, let's try it out. I'm going to, you know, bring in small elements here and there. Seems like students like it. I'll bring in some more elements. Okay, seems like they like that too. And and it just kind of grows over time. 
How have students responded to that gamification in class? Um, generally, really, really positive. The um, uh, I did some some uh, sponsored research on it last year, and uh, I came out with some interesting results where the average midterm scores went uh, were higher, and the average grades were uh, were a little higher. Final exam grades were lower, um, but it's but you're. But that's because of the nature of the course where your your grade cannot go down. Just like in XP when you play a game, like your experience points don't in, – in most of the games at least, they don't go down. Um, you stay whatever level you're at. So it works in that capacity too. Now, if you, if you do poorly on something, you go up less, right? If you get 300 out of 500 on an exam, you're only going up 300 points instead of 500. But you're never actually going – down. The idea is that you're trying to hit a goal of like 2,500 XP, and you're doing whatever you can along the way. If if you're doing poorly on on certain tests, guess what? There's more tests to take. There's more papers to write. Right? You just do more work, and you re-engage with it. You try it again, and students really like that. That the big um, the the biggest feedback I, I get is over and over again is um, I feel like I'm in charge of my grade the entire semester through. I feel like I always know what grade I ha- what I what grade I have, what grade I can get, and what I need to do to get it. And I'm in complete control of of that. And students really really value that, and I and I love hearing that from them. Oh, that's that's really cool. I could definitely see that going well. I teach some large classes, so I may ask you for some more tips and more about that approach offline. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been really cool hearing about all the stuff you've done that's innovative, both with teaching and 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 in mental health work bringing this stuff in oh, thank you yeah it's it's just again it's just a matter of trying things and and uh and just seeing kind of what works and and it you know go kind of full circle back it was just a matter of taking a personal interest and matching it to a professional interest and i love gaming and so i love teaching and so let's bring it together and and you know trying it out it ends up being something that's a lot of fun for me a lot of fun for the students and it worked really well comicspedia was you know, bringing superheroes and psychology together and, you know, just uh, that, that's something that's worked for me and I try to pass on to students and, you know, like you said, therapists or professors is, uh, um, you know, if there's something that you're personally into, see if there's a way small that you can bring in, you know, with your, with your work and uh, if it goes well, you just kind of keep going. You know, and that's another thing I get, I get a lot from students that the feedback that they they like teachers who are enthusiastic about what they're doing, and so this is a nice way because it sounds like your classes are very rigorous, but they're also put in a way that, like you said, are tying in some of your interests and also some of their interests. So it's kind of like this nice way of engaging them in the really rigorous coursework, which I like, and is always kind of the balance you're trying to strike as a professor. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And as a mental health professional, where it's like we kind of know some things that help, but getting people into that or being able to communicate effectively is a big piece of that puzzle. Yeah, for sure. It's it's uh, it's certainly a lot easier to communicate um, certain ideas or to ask certain questions through um, through superheroes rather than just at yourself or or as a psychologist or you know and that that person who sits uh, I once had a client who told me uh, I bet you just go home and sit in a big brown leather chair and read psych books all day and, and I said you know that actually sounds awesome to me but uh, but no I don't do that um, I actually play video games and I, I do other things I go see movies and like that's my recreation I don't just read psych books all day and um, you know, but but people will have that view of us. So yeah, by kind of meeting people, meeting clients where they are, and, and kind of being, you know, showing how human we really are is, I think, uh, can be a, a huge um, a huge benefit. Definitely. Well, hearing about your past projects was really cool. Are there any ideas you have about things you want to do in the future, either in teaching or other otherwise that you're kind of working on now? Yeah. Well, I I always like growing. Um, the gamification stuff that's uh, that's always evolving um the key culture and therapy course is always evolving i mentioned uh before oh i didn't get to talk about the one thing um the virtual reality thing um one of the things i was like most proud of from uh, uh with that class was uh, uh that was like the the kind of most recent iteration of the course was i had students coming out to my home in groups of four uh on, on like a saturday and had my you know my wife and kids were here and I have a HTC Vive, a VR headset, and a gaming computer, and we clear out the, the living room and basically have the students playing VR for like four hours. 
demoing all these different games and experiences and like watching each other on the, on uh, the computer monitors. So you can see what they see and, and uh, just talking about and sharing ideas and and sometimes it's really funny and sometimes it's uh, and sometimes it's it's really like emotionally heavy and um, it, that's that was such a cool experience to share with students and to because with VR it's where it is today is incredible it's such a great time to be into VR and it really needs to be experienced because screenshots and and you know YouTube videos just don't do it justice at all you got to get the headset on and walk around with it it's just so much fun so I, I had a blast kind of showing students that um, okay. as for going forward uh, with regard to the geek therapy activity thing I mentioned earlier it hit a speed bump because it was through a, a website called Wikispaces that closed down and they had these notices like, hey, get your stuff off our servers because we're going to delete everything. We're closing down as a service. And a member of the Geek Therapy community, which I looked earlier, has 478 members um, on Facebook, a, uh, almost 500 people. There's a, a member of the Geek Therapy community who reached out to me and said, hey, I noticed that the Geek Therapy activity is closing soon. Um, would uh, Do you have plans for it? And I said, yeah, I just got to extract it somehow i don't know if i just copy and paste all 70 web pages of each one of these activities i don't know i have i've just been putting it off i don't know what to do and she said oh i've actually been doing that already and i kind of want to know is it okay if i started if i like restarted the database somewhere else and i gave you credit for like your section of it i'm like hell yeah i do that (laughs) like that sounds great (laughs) you know and um you know i thought she was really polite about like really kind to, to be able to kind of go through all that work already herself so that's going to live on now in somebody else's care um all the students names who did the work will still be maintained uh if they put that in there i always left it up to the students if you want your name on it and own it you know you absolutely can if not that's totally fine too you can absolutely remain anonymous um so she promised to maintain all the all the names and stuff in there as well and um you know uh proper citations but uh uh yeah so that's going to continue elsewhere i'm not sure where yet um the geek therapy class uh, is always evolving. Like I said, it's I, I try to change like one or two of the planned talks like every semester. Um, so whenever I get to uh, teach that again, I'm sure there'll be some changes there. Um, Comicspedia, I've I've always wanted to to update. It's it's sadly pretty badly outdated. At least um, even though you can always get old comics, it's always better to keep it updated with newer ones. And I really wanted to get the geek therapy students to update it themselves and make that part of their requirements um either do the geek therapy activity or read some comics summarize them and tag them um but uh i I wasn't able to get that off the ground so uh i'm hoping in the future though uh with some graduate students if i could get them involved or even maybe some uh, some undergrad depending on their experiences to see if maybe i can get some assistance in uh in updating the uh, comicspedia database but uh Otherwise, I'm always just on the lookout for students doing dissertations related to the topic um, and and helping them with that. I just had a, a student from uh, Adler School of Professional Psychology who just completed his dissertation last year, I want to say, on how comic books affect adolescent moral development. And it was a brilliant, uh, really, really cool project that, that had some incredible outcomes, like great stories that he got from his participants who were reflecting on key decisions they've made in their lives that they could pinpoint to you know i and that's what i know this character would do or i thought back to this moment or i thought back to this book or i know this book influenced the way that i think about right and wrong and this guy really did some incredible work on his dissertation on that so um i just you know love hearing about other people's projects and whatever i can do to to help them kind of grow what they love you know that's just fantastic i love to hear that Patrick, it's been about an hour. We really appreciate your time. Yeah. This has gone on so long, but it's been so awesome and interesting. Uh, we're, we won't take up any more of your time. Where can our listeners find out more about your work? Yeah, uh, you could just uh, Google Comicspedia. Um, I, I think by now, hopefully, the name's pretty well associated with me. Uh, my Twitter handle is Comicspedia. My Instagram, which isn't which is more personal than professional, is uh, Comicspedia. There's Comicspedia.net is my website. Um yeah, if you just uh, look up Comicspedia, you're you're gonna find me all over the place. And we'll make sure to link to it in our show notes too. Cool, absolutely. That sounds great. Well, thank you so much for being with us. This has been so interesting, and, and in a lot of ways, it's I, it's so cool to kind of just talk with you and 
and kind of uh, hear the story and kind of hear hear how you developed this project and something that I know impacted me and my interest in, in kind of what we're trying to do with Jedi Council and just kind of in a lot of ways was a huge inspiration for how I got interested in starting to, like you pointed out, combine those personal and professional interests. So I just really appreciate being able to chat with you and kind of pick your brain about this stuff. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, we'll be back again next week, folks. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Jedi Council Podcast, a member of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. You can find more information about our podcast or blog at www.jedi-council.com. If you would like to support the Jedi Council Podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Jedi Council. The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Additionally, This podcast is for entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in place of advice from a mental health or medical professional. If you're struggling with mental health issues, please seek professional help.